How y'all doing tonight? Uh, I should say, how y'all doing today? Sorry, tonight. How y'all doing today? Good. I just said y'all twice. It must be hanging out with Terry. Um, my name is Bill Lucas. I'm an elder here at Cornerstone. Uh, I was thinking about it yesterday. I've been here almost 15 years on staff. That's a long time. I know. Um, Anyways, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here, excited to be with you guys, I think through the relationship we have, and, and uh, many of you I know personally, and, and just today the, I was asked as an elder to just share my heart, just come here, share my heart with you. Um, first of all, how many fathers do we have in here? Real quick, fathers? Good. Let's give them a ha- happy Father's Day. Um, and, and asked to share my heart, and you know, I figured I've got 45 minutes on the stage, so I'm going to have a seat and relax, lean back. You guys don't mind if I preach from here, do you? I can get comfortable. I got my, my water. It's my 45 minutes, so I could, my coffee. So we're good to go. How are you guys all doing? Good? I almost could take a nap here. I really could. Oh, wait. Does anybody else need water? I, I got some more water in here. Anybody need one? Come on. You need one? I got one for you. Who else? A couple of hands in the air. We, we can hand out water and sit down, relax. Oh, there we go. I, I, uh, I collected some stuff, really, that make it really kind of comfortable for me. And I, I was going to bring my TV in, but I realized I got a big projector and we wired some stuff in. I just my 258-inch screen, nice and relaxing. <laughs> no, I, uh, I have this here because I want to illustrate how I think a lot of Americans live their life. See, it's silly for me to take this time and make it about me. It's silly for me to take this time and just create my comforts. No different than how it's silly that Americans uh, in the church take their time in Christ and just satisfy their own needs. Right? Think through that. No different than it's silly to take this 45 minutes, which is really my opportunity to come and bring the word to bear. It's silly to use it to fulfill my needs, right? As opposed to the life we live in Christ. And, and, and what I realize is that we're missing um, something that God's called us to bring to bear. See, my heart for the church is uh, that you would be encouraged to live out the gospel more and more faithfully in everything you do. That's genuinely my heart, that you would be encouraged. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died a brutal death for no reason other than we would be redeemed. No reason that we would have life. Uh, I often often come to work or have scenarios that I interact with unbelievers, and maybe even some of you in this room, and it it terrifies me. I could sit at my desk, and it brings me to tears to realize that there are people in this world that are dying and they're going to go to hell. And I don't, I don't say that to scare you if you don't believe in this room, but I can't believe that I'm saved. Like, I can't believe I'm saved and the person next to me or that I might encounter isn't. And, and I realize that, that God didn't call me to this. He didn't call me to sit down, relax, build my kingdom as much as I wanted all the things that I wanted for my contentment. He didn't. In fact, uh, turn with me to Colossians Chapter 3. 
This is us. This is what he's called us to do, not alone me. Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised in Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, it shouldn't say if then. It should say since you have been raised with Christ. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. I'm not talking the roof. I'm not talking the sky. I'm talking about the eternal things, the eternal things of God. See, the reason the cross is empty is because Jesus ascended into heaven, and he's sitting at the right side of God. And that's where we're to set our, our mind. The, the truths of Scripture that encompass us should challenge us to live in a certain way, and it starts with us setting our minds on the things that are above. When I think through, uh, really, it's this idea that we've been raised with Christ, When you came to know the Lord, when you embraced him, when you repented and you were baptized, it is really this this idea that you died to your life and you were resurrected with Christ. In many ways, it's a co-resurrection. You have been co-resurrected with Christ. So as Christ lives, you live a new life. This new life you live is not your life. It's his life, his spirit in you. And we're called to live it. Right? And it's a challenge. We face everyday scenarios, whether it be family, tragedies, work, um, just needs. It's a challenge to stay focused on the things we need to do. And what, what Paul's saying here in Colossians, he's saying, if I've been raised with Christ, then I must seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. See, we are in this earth, but we are not of this earth. We are not to set our minds on the things of this earth. Now, there are some necessities, some essentials. I have a wife. I have kids. I need to work to have a roof over their head. I need to make sure that they eat. So we've got a grocery shop. We've got to. Um, I, I believe, a big fan of the Sabbath, I believe that sometimes it's good to sit down and relax. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying in our everyday life, what defines you? Are you defined because you set your eyes on the things above? Or are you defined based on your comforts and your time? And I think we can answer that question on our own. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's this idea that the Son of God... Christ loves me. He died for me. So this life that I live, I've been crucified with Christ in sense that this life I live is not my life, but it's Christ's life who lives in me. We're to seek the things that are above. Uh, I think, you know, if I could give you a biblical example of a guy that genuinely sought the things above, in Acts chapter 6, you see Stephen is nominated to be a servant leader. Stephen is a guy... It's godly, he's character-filled, he loves the Lord. And he was, he was this servant leader. He was to clear the tables and, and keep things cleared so that the disciples could go about preaching the word. Well, Stephen has a heart for the lost, and he's out and he's preaching the word. And the Pharisees, they accuse him of being blasphemous to God. And, and they call him in, they, they kind of uh, seize him. And, and at the point they seize him, now he starts sharing with them. Wait a minute, so you're, you're seized by people that are calling you blasphemous who you know that they could execute you. They have the right to execute you. And all of a sudden, you start preaching to them. 
Well, how did Stephen muster up the strength or the energy or even the desire to preach to them? His eyes were set on the things that were above, right? In fact, it says um, not only was it set on the things that are above, that these people grew angry and they were ready to, to cast stones at him. And he looked up and he saw God and Christ at, at the right hand, right? It's this idea that he was completely fixed and nothing was going to sway him. And, and uh, you know, I, I think through when we live life, our focus should be up. You know, you think through a, uh, a compass, right? Anybody in Boy Scouts, they had a compass, they learned how to work that thing. I kept trying to learn. I could never figure it out. I turn it, the needle moves that way. Well, a compass orients itself with the needle pointing north. That's how a compass works. Needle always points north, right? So just the same as a compass orients itself with the needle pointing north, as Christians, we need to orient ourselves pointing up, right? And I would say, look vertically. My wife and I'll make decisions, and we'll work through things, and I'll say, honey, it's not, it's not laterally. We don't look left or right. We look vertically because we can look left or right at our friends or family or people in the church and make decisions and justify it. But God doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to simply look vertically, set our eyes on him. Um, we need to keep in mind that the reason that we set our eyes on him is, uh, on Him, and on the things that are vertical or unseen is that we have a responsibility before us. As believers, if we have been resurrected with him, if we are co-resurrected, we have a responsibility that he has given us. John 17, 8, Christ says this. He said, as you, the Father, meaning God in heaven, sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God sent Christ into the world. He sent Christ into the world to live a life, 30 years, start a ministry, and then die for you and I. And Christ is saying the same thing as, God, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, there were the disciples that were originally his followers, but a disciple is a learner of Christ. You and I are disciples. If you are learning and desiring to honor God, you're a disciple. And, and Christ says that we have been sent into the world In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I think, see, our faithfulness hinges on where our eyes are set, right? If I'm over here and I'm relaxing, kicking back in my chair, and, and my eyes are, are on me and the things that I want. And I have my world around me and all my contentments. I forget to set my eyes on the things that are above. And I, I'm not fulfilling what God's called me to do. He's not called me to do that. He's called me to set my eyes on him so that the outcome is me not being afraid to be in, involved in ministry. Not being afraid to interact with people. I think of if Christ found a time to become content in his own circumstance, we wouldn't be saved. So it's this parallel obedience. Just as Christ was obedient to the Father, we're obedient to the Father in Christ. We can't reach the world until we leave it. Think through that statement. We can't reach the world until we leave it. See, when I build my comforts, I haven't left my comforts. 
until I decide to leave my comforts? Now, my fear is some of you are going to go, I can't have anything. No, God allows us to have things. But do you categorize your things as your things, your kingdom, your world? Or do you categorize it as it's God's? Now, the best way to answer that is, what do you do with your things? Do you let other people borrow to advance the kingdom? Do you, do you give your time for the kingdom? Do you give your resources for the kingdom? Right? Whether it be dollar or, or stuff. Right? Because it's not your kingdom, it's his kingdom. We can't leave, we can't reach the world until we, until we leave this world. In John 18, 38, it says, Christians are of Christ's kingdom, which is not of this world. His kingdom, not this world. You guys ever see that shirt, not of this world? I read this passage, I'm like, somebody put a good theme on some outfits. Not of this world. Ephesians 2, 6, it says, although we exist in this world physically, spiritually, we're already citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is not on this earth, right? Our dwelling, our life sentence, our, not a sentence, that's a good thing. Our life end is with God in heaven. Our citizenship is in here. Our spiritual growth, our joy, and our fruitfulness only happens when our eyes are set on him. Think through what Terry preached last week and just the, the, the things that a Christian inherits in Peter, or, uh, Romans 5. Right? We don't fully understand that if our eyes aren't set on him. And I know, I know that in, in many ways uh, you do live this. You live as strangers and exiles as the world for those of you that genuinely strive to be faithful. And I forget it sometimes. I forget what it looks like to press on, to look up and and. And that's where believers remind me and we're called to remind one another. And, you know, as the elders asked me to share some of this, they asked me to share a bit of my life. They wanted me to share kind of the, the things that God has called me to do in response to looking up. And I, I thought, man, I, nobody really wants to share their life. I don't want to be glorified. I want Christ to be exalted in the midst of this. Now, in the same way that some of you are faithful um, my wife and I strive to, to be faithful. For those of you that don't know, I have three biological children, 12, 10, and 8. Boy, girl, boy, 12, 10, and 8. Three biological children. Well, about uh, four years ago, three and a half years ago, I went to a group home. And when I was at this group home, I saw a young teenager come to this home, that he, this place, this facility that he calls home. Uh, 11, 12, maybe 13, but when he came to this home, right, and, and, and I want to give you a picture of this. This isn't really home. It's a building. The people that he might refer to that play a role of a mom and dad is people that work eight-hour shifts, right? So he comes home. Somebody meets him at the door, and they wand him with those metal. You know, you go to the airport, and they have these wands. See if you have metal on you. They wand him to make sure when he comes home from school, he doesn't have any metal on him. And it rocked my world. I thought, this 11-year-old kid comes home to this every day. This is a joke. And it rocked me. I remember we were leaving, and I, my wife's trying to talk, and I'm like, I just can't talk. And next day was an elders meeting. I'm sitting in the meeting, and I shared with them, and I lost it. I'm like, this isn't okay. Kids should not be raised this way. There's no reason. And, and there, you know, there's a part of me that 
My kids were at an age that they fed themselves, they dressed themselves. When they went to the bathroom, I didn't have to go help them. (laughs) Those were nice days. And now I'm wrestling with this call going, Lord, as I'm looking at him going, what do you want me to do? And uh, we were blessed with an opportunity to buy Francis's house, had a little more space. I, uh, I looked at my wife and said, we need to do it. And we, we were already foster caring at this point. We were already involved in foster care, even at our old place. We only had one bedroom for him, but we're like, we're going to use it. And now we're thinking, we need, to, we need to own the responsibility of these kids, adopt some kids. Like, let's go big. We'll take four or five kids. It's our limit. You can't have more than seven kids if they write an exception. My wife's totally agreed. So we were identified with three kids, uh, said we're going to do it, we're going to adopt them. We had them about two months. And at the two-month mark, we, we were just, we were excited. The Lord had molded our heart. They were ours. Um, my children had, had totally accepted that they now had brothers, and, and no proceedings had been finished uh, with the courts. And the county... Uh, L.A. County told us to tell these kids that it's going to be forever. Forever, you're, you're with us. And I remember looking at the five-year-old who had already been at seven homes. We were his seventh home, actually. And I told him, I said, this house is going to be the last house you're ever going to live. You will live with us forever. And, and a little later, he goes, Daddy, the bed I sleep in is going to be my bed when I'm old? I said, yes. And, and we would jump on the trampoline, and you could see the excitement in his face. He was so excited that he was going to have a place that was really home. The next day, we got a phone call and said that these kids need to go back to family. We were, it messed us up. And, and we wrestled through it, and, and I was wrestling with the Lord going, why? And, and when they, the social worker came and picked him up, everybody was crying. My wife and I, uh, my kids, these guys were crying you know, we'd put them in the car, and they'd run out the other door, and they're like running. They didn't want to go back in the house, and it rocked our world. Well, I, I, uh, the five-year-old had a favorite book, and I, I wrote my phone number in his book, and I would give it to him, and I'd say, where's the number? And he'd go to it. And I'd get the book back, and I'd say, here's your favorite book. You're going to keep it. Where is it? And he'd, he'd go to the number. I said, if you ever need anything later in life, you call me. Well, of course, he leaves. Now, let me back up a little bit, because when we had him, we did a visit. There was an aunt, so the mother, mother's sister was there, and she said something about a blessing, and I said, what do you mean blessing? And she said, uh, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I'm a follower of him. I'm like, right on. She said, what about you? Now, remember, we're doing a visit way out there, because they don't want anybody to know where, where I live. It's all top secret. And she, I said, uh, she said, what about you? I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, really, where? I'm thinking, there's a lot of cornerstones. Cornerstone. And she goes, oh, Francis Chan's church. I just read his book. I'm going, oh, no. But it turned out to be a good thing because when they left, uh, about a month later, she called me and gave me an update. So we're praying for you. The kids left a voice message on there. A month later, same thing. At about the three-month mark, we decided that we'd start looking. Uh, in fact, let me back up. The night that they left, um, of course, everybody was rocked. I'm laying in bed with my wife. She's crying. And we get a phone call from the social worker. And she said, I wouldn't normally do this, but the placement worker asked for you guys by name. And she says, uh, I have two more foster kids that need a home. And I'm like, probably not. My wife's crying. And Rhonda's like, yes, we'll do it. I'm thinking, 
But see, even in that moment, she had her eyes fixed on what's unseen. At that moment, it wasn't about her comfort and her sorrow. It was about what God wanted her to do. And so we had these two kids, one and three. Um, they were tyrants. They were the, and I don't, I don't, like there's a kind of a humor to that, but then there's a sadness to that, that this three-year-old, I had never seen a child this bad. And it taught us a lot. Okay, Lord, this is not my kingdom I live. This is your kingdom. Like, it's not about me. It's about what you want in us. So anyways, they left. Uh, months go on. We're getting occasional phone calls from the aunt. And she calls me one day about five months and says, why, why does my mom have these kids? Why did God do that? They belong in a godly Christian home. And I'm like, God doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. Maybe he wants them to come to know the Lord. She called me later that night. They'd gone back into the system. And she's like, Child Protective Services came and got them. And I remember calling everybody going, what am I going to do? How am I going to get them? Now, now remember, if I'm, if I'm in this world, it's not about anything else. But now, as I'm setting my eyes on what's unseen, and I'm striving to honor God, it's not only not about me, it's about God. But I'm looking at these guys going, I've got to do my part in making disciples. Right? These guys are the next generation. So we've had them for about nine months. That's a huge praise. We, um, at the end of the year, they should be ours formally. Uh, Lord willing, everything works out. And, uh, and we're excited. We're excited. Now, there's another part that, uh, that I was asked to share. And, uh, and you know, again, it's... I don't want to share, but many of you don't know that I have a business. I have a, a construction business. It's, it's somewhat lucrative. I don't share that to say, look what Bill has. I share that to say, let's talk about what Bill does with the practice of his business. Um, when I went back to school in ministry, Francis said, the ministry's small. We can't justify, you know, a bunch of money. So you said something about starting a business. Start a business, go back to school, and that business will... Um, Compliment, you know, it'll it'll uh, fill the need of your income that the church can't pay. And started the business, and how I've handled that business, it is a disciple discipleship tool. I've had seven of my old junior hires in the past work with me, and and disciple them through work ethic, disciple them, and and as I would interact with customers, I would talk about God, and then these guys would see how. I talk about God to people uh, early on. And some of you guys are thinking, oh, great, you just got free labor or cheap labor. Well, actually, the contrary. I, I paid them more than I would pay for the going rate. And the reason that is, is because they were God's children or, or aspiring to be that. And as a believer, I think we need to pay them more. And, and my heart is out of Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. Excuse me. And, uh, and then I think through, I've taken in a couple of homeless people that have worked with me. I've, uh, I've had a few guys that are recovering from drugs working with me and just genuinely use it as a discipleship tool. And, and, and I share that so you business owners will really evaluate how you operate your business. That is it God's business or is it your business? Because when it's God's business, you know, Matthew 6 promises that his provisions are are uh, there as necessary in your faithfulness. Um, now, 
Now, as I, I kind of think through those of you that have been faithful over the years, it doesn't rest on me, right? It doesn't, doesn't just rest on me. In fact, um, well, let me just, let me clarify. They asked me to share what's in my household. Not only do I have six kids, I have my wife and I, that's eight of us. I have a married couple, which is uh, 10 of us. And normally, I have another room that's empty. We keep college girls in, college students in. Um, so it'd be 12 of us in our house through the year most of the time. Um, so a lot going on. I have a homeless guy that we took in. Uh, he'll be here tonight at the 6 o'clock service, growing in the Lord. About three years ago, I met him, and you're all thinking, you're crazy, all these kids, and you taking a homeless guy, and you, know, you figure it out. The Lord provides, and, and, and there's a part of me that realizes that, that you guys are faithful in your own way. You know, I don't know if many of you know Guila, but Guila came to me last week, and she said, Oh, it's funny because uh, I was at lunch today and I turned around and I looked at this guy and said, how do you know when you die if God's going to let you in heaven? <laughs> the guy said, where do you go to church? She said, Cornerstone. He said, me too. Uh, but see, for her, she, that was totally set in her eyes, not on herself, but the things that are unseen. I think uh, Gary Patton, Gary and Robin, uh, Gary's part of the security team out there. He just retired. He's got two kids that he adopted. Uh, crazy in the world standard. His eyes aren't set on him. Or, or Don Anderson and Mary Beth, same idea. And, and again, I know there are many of you, and, and I, not to mention them all. Um, but last week, I was, I was interacting with this guy that had been recovering, or not recovering, he's losing everything to pharmaceutical drugs and really just in bad shape. He's abusing them in, in, in an unhealthy spot. And I came in the house and my wife said, you're not moving him in, are you? <laughs> so it was just like... <laughs> and and I don't, I'll, I'll say for a third and fourth time, I'm not saying this to boast me, but I also want you to know there, there are three guys that I work very close with here at the church. Todd, Terry, and Mike. They are the three guys that I work closest with. And I can tell you, those guys live the gospel in a real way. It is very real to them. Um, they work hard. I see it in everything they do. And, and you guys need to know that. You need to be encouraged by Todd. Every week he's up here. And, man, I see it regularly how he lives. Our faithfulness hinges on the things that are unseen. How we respond to circumstances is how well we fix our eyes on the maker the author and perfecter of our faith. Imagine if, if Jesus became content, we wouldn't be redeemed. If we become content, we're not going to make disciples. And, and we're called to live this out in a bold way. It says, uh, here we go. I think through how I want you guys to end your life or how how I want you to respond, and I look at Paul in 2 Timothy. Turn with me to 2 Timothy real quick. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also all who have loved his appearing. See, Paul at the end of his life with the confidence says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Right? You think through this. I fought the good fight. Well, I've been blessed with an opportunity to be a part of a, uh, there's a guy in the church and he teaches MMA and grappling. And so I've been blessed to get a little opportunity to do that. And uh, it's right up my alley. He'll teach us some moves. We'll, we'll box on a, uh, whatever you call these boxing things, you know, big cushion. And, and, uh, and then at the end, he wants us to practice what he taught us on him. There are like five or six guys. And I'm like, I'm going to let everybody go before me so that he's really tired when I get to him. So that maybe I can get him. Well, then everybody's gone and it's my turn. And for the life of me, I'm like, can't get him. And I don't know how he takes all of us on. But at the end, I'm... I just had a major workout in two minutes of my life. I'm like, done. Well, what Paul's saying here is that he fought the good fight, right? It's agonizing. It's, it's uh, tiring. It, it, we need perseverance. And he did it. Paul can look at the end of his life and say, I fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. He says, I finished the race. And the race, the idea with the race is keep it on course. You don't, you don't run a marathon, which I'm not running a marathon, but you don't run a marathon, get to mile six, and then change your course. That's not keeping on the course. Keeping on the course is, is finishing. And he kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award him on that day. That crown of righteousness is for him to be with God forever. And at the end of your life, that's what I want. I so want you guys to be able to finish and say, I fought the fight. I finished the race. And now there's in store for me a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, and not only for me, but all those who love disappearing. And there's an us thing in that. It's not only for me, but all those who have loved disappearing. Now, I realize that not everyone is going to take in foster kids. I'm okay with that. I realize not everyone is going to take in homeless people okay with that. I realize that it may not be a, a person recovering on drugs, but what I'm, what I'm not okay with is people that aren't figuring out where they need to be faithful. Some of you need to focus on your marriage. You need to set your eyes on the things that are unseen, and you need to focus on your marriage, and not just so that your marriage is healthy. It's so that it doesn't weigh you down, and then you are making disciples. Some of you need to to learn to treat your children in a way that doesn't exasperate them or, or overwhelm them, but instead it, it builds them up. And not so that that's the completion, so that you're healthy to make disciples. Right? Whether it be children in here, some of you need to, to honor your parents. Some of you need to set your mind on the things that are unseen so that you honor your parents. You respect them. And then you need to be making disciples. This is a this is a thing for all of us. I look at it, it's something that we're all called to do. Um, and and it's, it's not always going to be easy. I, I, I realize that even in all of this, I share my life, I, I share stories of what some of you people have done in faithfulness, and I realize that we're not saved by what we do. Right? Remember this. We're not saved by what we do. This is not a works faith. We're saved because of what Jesus did. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And 
I look at Paul's life, and he had to endure a lot. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to even take you there. But if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you realize that Paul was beat, and he was stoned, and shipwrecked, and everything Paul went through. Now, we may not face those same challenges, but it should have some challenges in faithfulness, right? When I have to get up three and four times a night on a, on a seven-hour sleep night because of a baby, right? I don't necessarily want to do that, but it comes with challenges. And when Christ says in, uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, why does Christ say that? Because he knows that as we are in pursuit of faithfulness, it's going to come with challenges. As we are in pursuit of making disciples, it's going to come with challenges. And we need to find rest in him. So, so as we, we close, we're going to take communion. I know Jared's going to come back up. As we close, I just want you to remember, the life we live is not over here, right? This is not who we are. Although I could be here. It's pretty comfortable. But it's not here, right? You know what? We're going to have rest in heaven. So I'd love to, to pray with us, pray for you guys, and we're going to take communion together. Um, as we take, we take communion, what we, what we need to realize is... Uh, is Christ warns us to take, uh, about taking communion with the wrong heart. And so if your heart is not there, if you don't believe, or if you have unrepentant sin, or you have issues with somebody, you shouldn't take communion until your heart is right. Right? So you can let that tray go by. But as we take communion, I want to take communion together as a family, setting our eyes on the things that are unseen with the mindset that we're going to strive to make disciples. And it's going to cost. But one day in heaven, we are all going to be together and there's going to be an incredible celebration. Lord, thank you for these people. Lord, you know my heart as I have prayed for each and every chair in this room asking you to move us. God, our heart is so that, that everyone here would be followers of you and followers of Christ So God, I pray that your spirit would do a work in all of us, that you would move all of us closer to you. And as we're we're about to take communion, God, I pray that it would be a time of celebration, a time of rejoicing in what you did for us, but also a time of commitment, a time of committing to to faithfulness. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.